This is episode 313 of The Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one, Harley Quinn, as well as go over the weekend movie news and movie trailers. All that and more, this episode starts right now. And welcome to another episode of The Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee. And uh, if you are new to this show, if you decided to take a chance on us because you were looking on the interwebs for a movie podcast to listen to and listen to some really great, deep, and fantastic analysis on uh, the the world's greatest movies, then I think you've hit the right spot, uh, and hopefully we can entertain you and be informative at the same time. Please stick through the entire episode, and hopefully you will stick around for the weeks uh, coming up. You guys, this is episode 313. Like I said, up at the top, we will be going over Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Yes, that is the full title, and as Joel will always get on my butt for, if it is labeled that in the movie, that is what we're calling it, and that is what this episode is called, and that's what the movie's called. So <laughs> that is what we're going to be doing on uh, this episode uh and then of course we're going to go over some trailers and joel will have a special segment speaking of joel joel is back uh and before i throw it over to him um if you guys could you know like this episode share it around you know tell people this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to we would really appreciate it and uh some interesting news as you can probably tell from the audio quality we're not recording on the microphones and there is a reason for that and it's just because spreaker was just too much for us uh, connection wise and so a uh, good friend brad who's been listening to our show for quite some time has recommended that we use anchor.com uh, he uses that for his podcast as well so check his podcast out a uh, little plug for him the watchers um, podcast and so it, this is gonna be new uh, this is new for both of us and so please bear bear with us as we uh, we figure this out but cool thing with anchor that spreaker did not have uh, so get this we have uh, a voice message uh, link that you can send us questions to, and maybe we can carve out each week uh, a little segment for you know the voice recordings or whatever. Uh, so we'll have that. You can send us questions, and we will put them on the air, and uh, you can hear your voice. And then the second thing is there is a support button. Uh, you don't. I'm not forcing you to pay for this show. I will never force you to pay, but if you want to support us, there is also – a, uh, a little support uh, button as well. You can go to our full profile, Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast on Anchor. Um, I think it's anchor.fm, not .com. Uh, and that will lead you to our profile page and all the buttons and links will be there. But I will also put all that in, this, in the description. So I just wanted to be upfront with that. So, Joseph, uh, welcome back after a couple weeks. Uh, you know, last week I said you might be gone for – about five and a half years, but uh, you you, short, you shortened it, which is fantastic. But uh, we're recording on Anchor for the first time. So first of all, how do you feel about that? And then second of all, how have you been? I've been good. I, you know, stressed out just because of being away from this and for the reasons, you know, because of the reasons for that. Um, but really, I am actually recording from five and a half years in the future. Uh, so oh, okay. it is... So- so you did the uh, the the Avengers method where <laughs> yes, you, you, exactly. the snap happened, you came back, and you're just like, what's happened? I didn't age at all. Hey, man, I'm at least I'm played by Paul Rudd. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. But, <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, so just to tell people kind of what happened. I mean, I know that Chase, Chase covered it. But for a couple of months, it feels like what had happened with Skype – 
through Spreaker or Spreaker through Skype or whatever combination, um, that we were having problems with keeping on the internet. Um, and I think it was just the combination of so many things. You know, not only would I have Skype open, I would also have the internet open uh, because I, you know, I use pages to uh, talk about the news and and all of that. Um, and so I, it was just it was just super super difficult. And we kind of uh, you know I just kind of ultimately got annoyed with it. And last week was kind of the final straw for me. I had recorded a podcast the night before that was. Uh, unfortunately, not related to this show, but it was unfortunately a disaster. And that's anybody involved in it could tell you that uh, it will not be heard anywhere because of it. And part of it was just the connection problem and the fact that everybody was using different things to record different things. And Skype was at the center of it all. We were all using Skype. Some of us rec- were recording through Skype and it co- kept constantly dropping calls. So I just you know woke up the next day and I was like, I recorded for four hours on something that's probably not going to be heard. I, you know, if, if this is at all the, the, the thing that's going to happen, then I just, I don't want this to happen. Um, and so I just, I just was like, you know what, let's, you know, you do the, you do the episode alone. And anyway, later that day is when we found out about anchor or we, we fully, you know, looked into anchor and, uh, yeah, I'm way better, uh, way better about that. So, my week, you know, I, uh, with this new with this new method, there's there's certain time constraints that we do have, so I don't want to go super duper into like in depth into our weeks anymore. But I will say that there it's been pretty eventful. Not only this, um, but you know, I had a dental appointment yesterday. I also I, I won't talk about it in full yet. I'm gonna tease this. Um, in fact, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna like specifically talk about anything. I'm just gonna say. That if next week works out, then I got a really, really good, almost too good to be true writing opportunity um, that comes here at the beginning of the decade. Which, you know, if it works out, yeah, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a new, some new, uh, not money, but because uh, it's not a paying uh, writing opportunity, but, um, but it's pretty awesome, and I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, it is already kind of in motion. I haven't, I haven't written anything yet. Um, but it is a, it's a, it's a film review writing opportunity and, and, uh, I have been sent a screener, uh, toward that goal. So I haven't watched it yet because it's a busy weekend, but that's, that's been going on. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, you know, just kind of been catching up with, uh, with, uh, different Bond movies and I haven't done much of that this week, but, um, but I'm, I'm pretty close pretty close to my goal there. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's pretty much it. It's been an eventful week, but not in terms of like watching movies or anything. It's it's just been a lot of personal stuff and, and, uh, stuff at work. Like we had a theft this week, um, that I witnessed, um, that was pretty, that was pretty intense. I won't go into that, but that was pretty eventful. So yeah, lots of, lots of stuff has happened this week, including us, completely scrapping our, our old model and going with a new, with a new platform, um, which was probably the biggest thing that happened this week. Right. Uh, and I, I, th- I think in the long run, it'll be better because mm-hmm. in, in anchor, um, you guys are going to hear different music. <laughs> I'm not going to have the same one play over and over again. There's going to be breaks and we'll get to that uh, when we get to it. But 
We're going to break this uh, you know, podcast up, make it a little bit more professional. Yeah, our audio quality is not there yet, but I just – listen, you guys have been so supportive and bearing with us. It's going to take some time to transfer over into like full professional mode, but mm-hmm. but Joel, Joel was correct though. We we had to make a, an executive decision and was just like, do we want to have a good connection and have a good quality episode for you guys or have good audio quality and Joel be gone for a long period of time? So we went with this option. So just if you could just bear with us, we will make this uh, worth it in the, the yeah. long run. Our 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 goal is still to find studio space, but of course we can't, you know, afford that right now. <laughs> so right, and, 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 and there's the fact that we live an hour from each other. So even if even if we were to try to do something where we meet half, you know, midway through, that's still you know an hour for me on the road. Uh, that's a lot of gas. And right, and, you know, and so. And so and, yeah, and you know, uh, I, I guess if we, you want to pimp this out again, it's we do have that support button, and there mm-hmm. is there are things that you know it it might be five or ten years before Joel and I can get studio space. It might be two months from now. Who who knows? But it it's just one of those things to where if we had you know a Patreon or something like that, if you guys want to do that, that's what it would go to. It would go to studio yeah. space, gas money, all that stuff. But. I'm not going to force you guys to do that. Even if Joel and I are senior citizens doing this from our phones, we will still do it for free because we still love you guys. But uh, yes, uh, it, it will take some time to get to that point. Um, but it, it, it will happen because I, I, I do believe in this this show and stuff, and especially if Joel gets this uh, writing gig and his name is thrown out there even more, you're going to bet your butt that I'm going to exploit him and be like, listen, <laughs> I got exploit. Joel, I got Joel Copeland on my show. Okay. He's hitting it big right now. So you should come listen. Uh, no, but um, yeah, you know, what's really funny is that you had a stressful week. I had a pretty relaxed week. I used all, all oh, my stick. Oh, great. Oh, great. Yeah. Just... <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so while you were suffering, uh, I was just being a lazy turd and I wasn't doing anything because I uh, uh, took all my sick hours and I burned them this week because uh, mm. I start my new job soon. So I didn't really do much. I just hung around the house, got uh, my DMV. I honestly uh, was wondering if you would do that. Like I, I was thinking, okay, he's probably got two weeks left. He's probably not even gonna like right. go to yeah. work. <laughs> I, I, I basically have to go back for two more days next week just to finish mm. up some stuff. But other than that, I, I, I'm not. I don't work there anymore. So right. Um. Yeah, it was really fun to burn uh, all my hours, and I went to the DMV, got my license uh, renewed because, as Joel mm. knows, turning thirty, you got to renew that stuff, and it's not fun. Um. Let's see. Yeah, and then uh, as far as like the normal watching, normal shows that we uh, watch, we did watch something new this week. Uh, let you guys know about we did uh, watch the first episode of McMillions, the HBO mm. documentary about the monopoly fraud that they uncovered uh, back in the day. It's uh, it's interesting so far. It's uh, I think it's a six part documentary series uh, coming on every single Monday night on HBO. I would recommend it. We enjoyed the pilot, and then I finished up BoJack Horseman. Uh, that was the final season. I like it. Um, the, the final season. Uh, it's not my favorite, but it, it was a nice way to end it. And then just the normal stuff. And then we saw Birds of Prey on good old Thursday night. And it was a packed house because it's a DC movie. It's a superhero movie. People still love that stuff. So, Joel, I, I think it's a, a great, great kind of little segue to jump into that. Yeah, so this is going to be our review of, of Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn as – Chase said, yes, that is the title <laughs> as it shows up twice in the movie. Once at the beginning, once at the end. Uh, so this is the latest film in the DC Extended Universe. It comes from director Kathy Yan. 
from a script by Christina Hodson. Stars- Joel, Joel, just real quick, uh, I want to interject. And I, I was saying this to people yesterday. It is so weird to me that this film is, is radar. It feels like it's a completely separate thing. However, versus the Joker movie, um, this had the animated DC logo that's connected to all the other movies. Right. That's what was strange about it. Well, yeah, I mean, this that was that was sort of a a thing on its own. Um, the the Joker movie was it was just it was obviously produced by DC, but I feel like yeah, they wanted to set it apart because it wasn't part of this universe um, in any particular way. Right. Uh, this one is a follow up to Suicide Squad, the 2016 disaster. Um, y'all remember that? episode that I did when I wasn't a host yet, uh, I was just a guest and we did our list of the worst films of, uh, of 2016 that made it on there. Um, and so, you know, was I excited for this? I feel like I was maybe conflicted, uh, just because of its association with that movie. Um, and the fact that Margot Robbie, who plays, uh, Harley Quinn, was probably the best thing about Suicide Squad, if there was a good thing. Uh, it made me a little more excited. And certainly once some of the details of the people involved, the fact that it was a mostly female cast with a woman writing it, woman directing it, certainly very exciting. And so the, the plot here uh, picks up after Suicide Squad. I'm not sure how long, but uh, some months after that. Uh, Harley has broken up with the Joker. Uh, it's totally mutual, though, um, as she tells us while um, uh, blowing up the, the chemical factory that was their love <laughs> nest. Um, <laughs> so uh, the plot here is fairly simple. Basically, she's tasked, uh, or she, she tasks herself with protecting a young kid named Cassandra Kane, who has found um, a diamond. Uh, has found its way into her digestive tract that is desperately sought by Roman Sionis, uh, who's the villain here played by Ewan McGregor. Um, so she is, she, she is tasked with protecting her while also evading the police, including a, uh, an obsessive detective played by Rosie Perez. Uh, there are a couple of other characters here too, including the black canary played by journey Smollett bell, who is a lounge singer with a, um, uh, with a supernatural vocal quality, uh, she can she can use it as a weapon. And there's also the Huntress, a uh, very socially awkward <laughs> um, uh, vigilante with a crossbow, played by Mary, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who has a personal beef with uh, with possibly with uh, with McGregor's character. So, like I said, you know, I was interested. I was certainly curious. The the trailers uh, suggested. Something in the Scorsese vein, uh, which is kind of perfect that it's Margot Robbie because she's coming off of I, Tanya with this, um, which was a similar situation. Uh, and I got to say, I'm, I wasn't super impressed with this movie. Um, the problem here, I think, arises pretty early on when we realize, I think, that Harley Quinn is not a sympathetic character. Um, and she's never been meant to be one like that's she's been Joker's sidekick slash girlfriend slash accomplice. And that's pretty much exclusively how this series has really dealt with her. I mean, there have been a few 
you know, comic lines that have, um, or comic runs, however you say that, that have gone off with her on her own. Um, there, I'm sure that there have been a couple of those animated DC movies that have been released, maybe, uh, that, that primarily focus on her. But it is important to remember that because I don't know if this movie really reconciles um, that this character is worthy of sympathy or even empathy. Um, there's something a little bit pathetic about her, especially because Robbie kind of plays her as this, and I hate to use this term because it's, it was, you know, overused by the time the 20, by the time the 2000s ended, but she's like the ultimate manic pixie dream girl. Uh, that's what this character is, is she's basically this, um, very kind of, uh, damaged product of an abusive relationship that, pretty much defines her for the rest of her life. Uh, and that's, that's what a manic pixie dream girl is, at least according to the, the, um, uh, the trope in movies and rom-coms and, and whatnot. So this movie doesn't really do a good job of reconciling that with her status as this movie's main character. And, and by no means is this, a, is this an ensemble? Uh, this is very much about Harley. It's not, so much about the birds of prey, which is a group made up of, you know, Harley and, and these other three women that, uh, she comes into contact with because there's no team up until the end of the movie. Um, there's no, it's pretty much exclusively following the, or at least the main plot is exclusively following Harley pretty much the entire time as the black canary, uh, works as, um, uh, Roman's driver and Huntress, you know, sets in a in a uh, a vengeance scheme, uh, having to do with with a horrible event from her past. So that's pretty much the plot. It's very simple. Um, this is it's a very simple movie, and unfortunately, I, feel, I this is way better than Suicide Squad. Just getting that out there. That's not hard to do. Uh, <laughs> really, it's not hard to accomplish that goal of being better than um than suicide squad it's it's easily superior to that just because there's a much more of a focus on character than suicide squad was had uh that was almost entirely concerned with um with the points of the plot and so forth uh but there is the problem of the fact that this is kind of a disorganized plot uh, we get for the, about the first hour, a few introductions to the characters, but we also get this weird tendency on the part of screenwriter Christina Hodson, um, to, to move very, very, very like microscopically forward with the main plot and then backtrack several days or hours or whatever to something that was previously going on as a way of throwing us off. It's a way of throwing us off. It's a way of, of kind of confusing the, the timeline of the movies, which would be fine if not for the fact that it ultimately does end up kind of catching up to itself and then just offering us this series of action sequences to get, to, to get us to the end of the movie. And I feel like that's, that's fairly confused and, and convoluted even though it's such a simple plot, all it is is 
this kid, uh, Cassandra play, Cassandra Kane, played by Ella J. Basco, has swallowed a diamond, and uh, Roman wants it. Um, there's a big, gigantic half million bounty on her head, and that's it. And now all that's needed is Harley to protect her from Roman, uh, with whom she has a history, being having a, you know dated the Joker for a while. They did business. Um, and that's it. And so I do like, I do like certain aspects of this movie. I think that Margot Robbie is good. Uh, and I think that she is, or she's, she's pretty good. I, I, I think she leans a little heavy into the accent and maybe doesn't quite humanize this character with her performance, but I'm not entirely sure there's really anything to work with on the screenplay level to humanize her either. So I think that it's, it's a good one-note performance, basically, I think. Uh, the other actors are – some of the other actors are fine. You know, L.J. Basco uh, certainly has promise as an actor based on her performance as Cassandra Kane. It's, it's a kid, uh, you know, cursing and having a lot of things happen, happen to her uh, over the course of the plot. And that's, that's pretty much the only, the only uh, reason that she exists here. But she's pretty good. She's pretty good at what she's doing. Um, yeah, I don't know if the movie does Journey Smollett Bell or Mary Elizabeth Winstead many favors, but they play their roles pretty well. I think that Smollett Bell in particular is fierce, uh, probably better than she has to be, uh, in this role. Um, Winstead doesn't really show up a whole lot. She's kind of a background character, honestly. Uh, now the, the exception, and I, I'm actually wondering if if uh, Chase agrees with this because I didn't watch his review uh, before this. Um, I thought that Ewan McGregor was bad. Uh, he's playing the role of the villain as kind of in the in the tradition of Eddie Redmayne in um, Jupiter Ascending, where there's this kind of well, kind of different, but in this in the same vein of either he's yelling or he's quiet. Uh, and for, and in this case, it's either he's screaming everything with rage issues or he's being kind of suave. Um, you know, he's the, he's the head of a, uh, um, you know, he's the owner of a, of a club and he's also a crime boss. So he's got to have, he's got to put on some sort of a face of, of pleasantries, but Otherwise, he's just kind of getting angry about everything. I feel like McGregor doesn't really understand how to like communicate any sort of nuance between those two states. And so it just becomes a really, really loud performance and nothing else. Um, I guess a little better is Chris Messina, who plays Victor Zaz, uh, who is uh, Roman's uh, head honcho, I guess also kind of lover. Um, who is very violent, uh, has scars on his face. I mean, people know who Victor Zaz is, even if, uh, you know, probably from the, uh, from some of the Batman games for like PS3 and stuff, um, and PS4, they know who he is. Uh, but he is just a violent psychopath and Messina plays him as kind of quiet and, uh, menacing. And I think that that works pretty well, works a lot better than whatever McGregor's up to. And, um... So I think that I think that the the actors are doing what they can. Uh, there's some good action sequences too. I, I think that 
particularly at the at the end there's this one take fight scene between all the birds of prey and all of the all of roman's goons and um his army that he that he um accrues at the end of this uh but his but but roman's come up and says really like anticlimactic uh and I just feel like there's not really a sense uh, a sense here of any sort of control of all of these different elements. It really wants to be kind of a deconstruction of the superhero genre in some way, or at least the comic book movie in some way, and in, in sort of the same way as Deadpool, just for villains, um, which I think, uh, you know, Deadpool did maybe a shade better. Uh, but they suffer from similar problems. There's really no sense of like tone management here. I talk about that a lot. It's it's shifting wildly between the serious stuff with everybody, which is all played with this one note of manic energy, and it just doesn't really work. Um, and so, yeah, this was this was a significant disappointment. You know, I was interested, um, and I'm I'm fully confident that it's going to work out better than this movie does does but all of the stuff that's in the superhero genre this year is directed by women so i'm really interested to see how it turns out obviously i mean super excited this is the first step into that um into that trend this year and uh and i hope it's a trend that continues but in terms of the actual quality of the movie in, at hand yeah this doesn't this doesn't really uh this didn't really impress me i just I kind of checked out pretty soon into this. So, unfortunately, I am giving Birds of Prey a C. Um, Chase, did you agree with me on this? Did you like it a little bit more? What's going on in that brain skull of yours? So, <laughs> as you guys know, uh, Suicide Squad was my favorite film of 2016. So, yes. I, had really, I had really high hopes for it. Um, no, I, I hate Suicide Squad. I saw it twice in the theaters just to... <laughs> reaffirm all that and uh i just i couldn't do it um now i have been appreciating what dc has been doing lately in terms of taking stuff like aquaman shazam joker and now this going wildly different directions kind of making them own have uh make them have their uh own unique voice and really going that route and there's nothing wrong with that i love when people can just throw stuff at a a dartboard and see what sticks and it looks like uh when you look at the box office numbers and just the quality of those films they are connecting to audiences in different ways, but connecting nonetheless. And so with Birds of Prey, I was curious to see how they were going to do how, how they were going to do this, because Suicide Squad was wildly successful. And at the time of this recording, Birds of Prey is not really striking gold at the box office right now. And I was really worried that, you know, with the R rating, this is going to hurt you know, people uh, not being able to see it. And then they're going to go back to PG-13 with the Suicide Squad. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, uh, but hey, listen, if you want to create this and make it um, the Harley Quinn show, introduce new characters and make it more akin to the animated stuff that DC has been doing nowadays and making it radar and really graphic and kind of over the top, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm willing to give it a chance, even though the trailers didn't really impress me. So after the movie, I sat there thinking... Well, first of all, I agree with Joel. It's miles better than Suicide Squad. Hell, uh, Joel and I recording this podcast episode through our phones is a better production quality than Suicide <laughs> Squad. But that's that's besides the point. Uh, I sat there thinking, like, yes, it is better than Suicide Squad. But how does this movie stand on its own? 
and I usually give myself about 24 hours uh, unless I'm under a, a, a time crunch and the screening's on a Thursday and I got to get it done by Friday. I typically wait a day before I record my reviews uh, for my YouTube channel. And then, of course, with Joel and I, it, you know, I can sit on it for an entire week. Um, I sat on this for a day and I came to the conclusion that this was either going to be a C plus or a B minus movie. And I'm like, I don't know which way to kind of rock the boat on this one. And so uh, I'll keep you guys in suspense in terms of which one I chose. But here's what I thought about the movie. I think in terms of creating Harley Quinn and her type of universe and how chaotic it is and violent and over the top and kind of darkly comedic, I think what Kathy Yon did was good in terms of creating the atmosphere that I would want in a Harley Quinn movie. My issue is I agree with Joel on the point of it being a little thin. It is hollow. It doesn't really add much to her character uh, that's worthwhile. And then when we get the birds of prey, finally the movie's already over. (laughs) So Mm. I felt, I felt like in terms of the overall scope, this is a giant setup movie and I'm okay with admitting that. Um, I'm, I'm giving a lot of my points, uh, due to, um, uh, this being a significant rebound from the suicide squad, um, in terms of that over story, I, I did feel like this was just a, Hey, this is a giant setup movie to set up birds of prey for potential franchising. And I'm not really down with that. I don't care if you're DC or Marvel. I really don't, uh, care when a movie spends two hours, basically setting up something that's in the last five to 10 minutes only to get you to come back in like two or three years, just make a good movie first and then we're we're good to go. But um, yeah, I just, I really thought the hollowness of everything going on and kind of just leading up into this, you know, pretty interesting climax battle, but then the movie ends, it just, it led me to to believe that uh, Warner brothers and DC were kind of, tiptoeing around this movie and not really going all in on it and just playing it safe, which is funny because this movie is rated R and it has a Deadpool kind of attitude. And I felt, I felt like they should have went a little further with it um, in terms of talking to the camera or her being a little bit more sarcastic or, you know, all that stuff. I felt like they were holding her back, but at the same time they were still pushing that rating boundary. It was kind of weird. And I, I won't disagree with Joel on the, the kind of tone management and just kind of knowing what they wanted a little bit more. I didn't think it was as bad as Joel, but I I will acknowledge that. But in terms of creating what I would picture as a live action, uh, Harley Quinn, colorful, vibrant chaos in Gotham, I thought it looked pretty good in terms of that. And so if they can capture what they did in this movie, push it a little further for the next installment, even if they make one, I have no clue. The numbers aren't looking too good. If they make another one, keep this same vibe going and you have a good start to this and this universe and this, the corner of these, uh, these DC movies. I'm, I'm really appreciating. This was a good start to that. Uh, so I think in terms of creating that vision Kathy on was successful. This is more down to script problems and just expanding it with uh, the story and the characters that I had an issue with. So Joel and I are pretty much on the same page with that. Uh, I thought they could have done a little bit more because even when we got to people like Huntress or 
uh, Black Canary. It's like Black Canary had a little bit of a backstory, and we got to see her powers once uh, to full force. Huntress barely even in it. We get we get more backstory than powers, but she's just a really great assassin. But she's barely even in it. It's just it's just weird that you would call this movie Birds of Prey and uh, all that stuff, and we barely even get to see the group as a group. So. Uh, yeah, it's just crazy on that front. Yeah, but, it, it's almost as if they should have just called it the fabu- the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, well, which yeah. kept, which would have confused people. But uh, <laughs> you know, and so they have to have like some sort of other kind of brand tie-in. So of course, well, it, prey. Yeah, you know? and I I thought if they went down that route, I think you're correct. They could have made this into a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Call this one the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn call the next one Birds of Prey, and then call the next one Gotham City Sirens, which is like another right. kind of uh, female superhero DC group. And so that's what you could have gone down. But, hey, if they want to do this, uh, go ahead. But like I said, from the numbers, it is not looking good. So uh, I, I don't know what the future is of these movies, but I have more of an issue of um, – so Joel, Joel's on the, the side of like tone management. Consistency on uh, my part is where – I'm going to step in and be like, I don't know what they're going to do because Suicide Squad is in this kind of different uh, tone and style. Birds of Prey is just amped up to an 11, and now they're going to crank it back down to an 8 for the next one. And it's just mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what the, the vision is, what's the game plan. And so this is it's very confusing to me. It's also going to be interesting to, to watch this in the context of Wonder Woman 1984, which is right. also in this universe. And uh, just by virtue of, uh, you know, Wonder Woman has never uh, interacted with these people, but she's interacted with Batman and Batman has arrested Harley or not or tried, you know, fought Harley Quinn and all of that. So clearly that one's going to be sort of the Thor Ragnarok of the year. I think this is more of the, I guess, Guardians 2 in, in just in terms of. Well, no, 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 because that's a lot funnier than this. But anyway, this it, it, would, it would be more yeah. of a Deadpool, a Deadpool. No, uh, this is this is Spider-Man: Homecoming because this is oh, yeah. a movie primarily about Harley Quinn, but technically isn't a um, an origin story, uh, and that's what Spider-Man: Homecoming is. And I was trying to make like a 2017 Marvel movie uh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. comparison because I feel like 19, Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be that throwback. It's going to be a lot funnier. It's going to be a lot livelier. Um, at least that's what I get from seeing the trailer again yesterday when I saw this movie. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch this in the, in the context of that. I'll just say, it, yeah, just, I, they're going to be more, so different. I'm more confused about the consistency of, uh, what they're going to do with the future of these, mm-hmm. considering that they decide to flip from a PG 13 to an R. I mm-hmm. know it really doesn't mean much to some people, but I'm telling you it does. When you watch this, one of the first lines that she drops, she drops the MF and I'm like, this is not the Harley Quinn that we got four years ago. Right. So it's just, it's just so weird. Um, yeah. But speaking of Harley Quinn, I do think the one thing that is working to its advantage um, with this and even with Suicide Squad, Margot Robbie is committed to this role. Like there is not an ounce of that woman that just uh, uh, line reads the role and just coasts through the movie. She always gives a thousand percent when she's in this role. And I agree with Joel. I think her accent is a little, you know, kind of hit or miss because Margot Robbie is not uh, – uh, she she's Australian, right? So, like, she has um, a, a bit of a heavier accent than most actors. And so when she trans, 
transfers to an English accent, and now she's doing like this English Cockney accent. It sometimes it kind of floats in and out. That's the least of my worries. I think the physicality of Harley Quinn, the the sarcasm, the uh, the bite that she has to her, I think Margot Robbie delivers that in spades. And I I think that with this one kind of delving into her character a little bit more. That's why Joel is absolutely correct. This is a Harley Quinn movie, not a Birds of Prey movie. Because we do a lot with her and kind of her her inner struggle that she has with not only being with the Joker, but also um, feeling alone in the world. There is a there is a shred of humanity, humanity to her that I think Robbie can deliver uh, because she does have, have the acting chops and she's had them for years. And she kind of brings that, that shred of humanity to her, making her, you know, the anti-hero that, you know, the comics have made her out to be. You need that when you're making a character like this. So I think it's not a lot, but there is an ounce there that I, I found uh, to be quite, you know, redeeming of the character. It gives a little bit, it's a little bit more, a little hope, like more hopeful because, you know, she was the psychiatrist that, you know, became a little crazy and went after the Joker. It's that, it's that shred that makes me go, you know, if she was just around the right people, maybe she can go back to her original uh, mm. ways and be a psychiatrist, a doctor of some sort, and uh, kind of ditch this lifestyle. So, but Robbie delivers that to um, the performance. I thought everyone else was good, uh, even though you know people like Mary Elizabeth Winstead wasn't really in it that much. Uh, Rosie Perez is always badass in everything that she does. Uh, she just has that attitude, and I, I love it. And then, of course, uh, Journey Smollett-Bell. We we only got a little bit of her powers towards the end and uh, a little bit of her backstory, but uh, she she delivers her role, you know, as, as, be as best as she could. Uh, Chris Messina, uh, I thought was a really awesome henchman. I wish he would do more roles like this because uh, he, he kind of floats back and forth between comedies and uh, uh, dramas, but he doesn't really do stuff like this, and I want him to do more. Um so here's where we might disagree on Ewan McGregor. I think mm -hmm. given the the nature of Harley Quinn, if you've ever seen her in animated form or live action, she is very over-the-top and cartoonish, almost on the level of a Deadpool. Um, and I'm cool with Ewan McGregor kind of being all over the place. Uh, it just That's the type of world that she oh. lives in. I, and, I I know exactly what he's going for. I I, right, I, right. I got that. I just I don't think that he really sold it in in terms of his performance. It was a right. it was a it was a case of the theory versus the execution. The theory's fine. I mean, obviously he's going to be all over the place. It's a like you said, it's a Harley Quinn movie. But for me, yeah, it was just in in terms of the details of his performance. I I felt like he was he was switching between giving a whole lot. And then giving way too much, like just, just, it's almost, uh, I forget who, who says this now, but I think it might've been, uh, I think it might've been Ebert about somebody, uh, and I can't remember who, but it's almost like he goes so far over the top, he circumnavigates the globe and I, right. and, and he comes back and, <laughs> and, he I, 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 I will and so right, for me, yeah. it was just, it was just an, it was just a, it was too much. It was too yeah, I, much. I, I, I will say that, uh, like Chris Messina, for instance, he was actually more threatening than the mm -hmm. actual villain. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. there, there is that that kind of thing missing from Ewan McGregor that doesn't make him 
quite as villainous as the uh, the film makes it out to be. I'm glad that he decided to do this because I love it when actors can just kind of do something random like this and really just kind of go there. It's um, certainly against type. I mean, he's too nice. Right. I, th- I yeah, think that's the I, problem. He, he's too nice to sell something like this. But right. But and Chris I, Messina has the ha, can do the cold eyes, and yes, I he think can. that yeah. So. And that, that, they had to do with the the way they styled him too, with the blonde mm-hmm. uh, hairdo and the kind of uh, mascara around his eyes. He looked like mm-hmm. a, a deadly raccoon. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But with uh, Ewan McGregor, I'm I'm okay with the over the top goofiness, but he was definitely the weakest part. If I had to pick one, uh, I like you know everyone else besides him. But I think for me, it's not as offensive uh, as like what you and Mark have pointed out in uh, you guys' takes on it. Uh, it, it is what it is. It's not, you know, anything that um, destroys my perception of the movie. Uh, just a couple of quick things, and I'll wrap this up. I think the uh, the cinematography and the look of it, the energy and the style, is up. Uh, it's pretty mm-hmm. swift. You know, it's a hour and fifty minute movie. It flies by, even if some of the parts feel a little derivative or boring. I still think there's a lot of great production design and costuming to kind of, you know, soak up that universe and your eyeballs as you're watching it. And to comment on, I never thought I'd bring this up, but you kind of have to now since the last movie did win this Oscar for it. Suicide Squad is an Oscar Oscar winning movie with the makeup and hairstyling. I will say that this one is not as extensive as Suicide Squad, but it's right. still worth noting that uh, whoever does the uh, makeup and hairstyling for Harley Quinn, I think you know does a pretty great job not making her like overly caked in makeup. Mm-hmm. But just that right amount where, like, you can distinguish she's Harley Quinn and it's not distracting. Uh, and then I think everyone else, you know, looks pretty solid. But uh, it's not as extensive as Suicide Squad. But I thought it was really funny. I had to bring it up since the last movie won for it. But, yeah, I – listen, I think for a rebound off of the last one, great improvement. Is it a great start uh, to, you know, kind of going in this direction? Not really. There's some – there's some bumps in this road, but I think it's a good start to set off what could be, be potentially a good franchise. But I do think the setup of being concerned with that franchise does bring it down a little bit and makes it a bit hollow, even though I had fun watching it. I was leaning on the fence, but I think I'll swing up uh, and I'll go, I'll go with a B minus. All right. Uh, I will say cinematography. It's Matthew Liberty. He he knows what he's doing. Uh, it's right. The guy the guy shot Black Swan and and did the he, Iron he, Man. He he shot for... our, Well, didn't he shoot our favorite film? Uh, uh, but did he did he shoot Venom? He might have. Oh, that's right. I think he might have. Um, <laughs> okay, so he shot our favorite movie. Venom. <laughs> uh, yeah. So funny because Venom Two is going to be shot by Robert Richardson of all people. So, um, yeah, <laughs> going from Black Swan to Hugo. Right. Uh, <laughs> And JFK. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, there's some promising elements here. I don't, I don't know if it if it came together, but uh, but certainly I would be interested in a second one. Uh, far more interested than I am in the Suicide Squad. Uh, Absolutely. After, well, well, after Suicide well, Squad. I, I well, I'll, I'll say this. I will go on record and say, as much as I despise the first one, I'm curious to know where they're going to go with the Birds of Prey franchise, even if they do one. And I do want to see the sequel to Suicide Squad only because our boy James Gunn is behind it. And right. I yes. feel like if he's the one, if there's one person to bring that thing back from the dead, it's him. Right. Yeah, exactly. It'll be, it'll be very interesting to see if, well, one, if any of these characters are, are included in that. Well, um, I, I, I know for a fact you know, that uh, Margot Robbie, Jai Courtney, 
and uh, I think Andrew Selba, right? Because he right. Repl- or was it him? Or can't remember. But uh, it might have been. Him. I know that. Yeah, I think it is because he's replacing Will Smith um, as Deadshot. Yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, that is that was our review of Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will have segments about this week's trailers from Chase and a special segment from me touching on the worst films of the 2010s. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the second part of the Real Man Cole in a Movie Podcast, episode 313. Guys, it is trailer time. Uh, some trailers dropped this week. Uh, a lot of them dropped over the Super Bowl, actually, but uh, uh, we covered those already with like Mulan, Fast 9, uh, James Bond, Black Widow. Uh, there was just a lot of things that we've already talked about. But there was one trailer that dropped in the Super Bowl uh, that came out of nowhere, and it was like 30 seconds long, and then the full trailer dropped the next day. So I'm so happy to announce that I know Joel is super excited about it to talk about Minions, the rise of Gru. Uh, <laughs> our, our, you know, Universal is just batting a thousand at this point, so they might as well just keep uh, keep them coming. <laughs> uh, so with Minions, the rise of Gru it is the sequel to Minions it is the fifth film in the franchise because you have three Despicable Me's and you have the Minions film. Now you have this one coming out July 3rd, 2020 from Universal and Illumination Entertainment. This is a almost three-minute long trailer, and I don't understand Illumination continues to do these trailers in this format where, where they will literally have a a scene, a almost two-minute scene, and then a bunch of fast clips for the, the last minute, and then end it. it. It just feels like they spoil a lot, but hey, they make a lot of movies, and Minions is a billion-dollar movie, so... Not only is that a sad fact of life, uh, that also gives Illumination a lot of power in terms of marketing. And they're like, you know what? It's working, so let's just keep doing it that way. Um, so for this one, we have little Baby Gru because uh, the baby anything is a trend nowadays. So Baby Gru is uh, running around, and he wants to be a supervillain. And he goes to this uh, uh, kind of supervillain job agency, and he, he's like, I want to be a, a supervillain. And they're like, you're too young. You'll never make it. So he meets up with the minions and they start their own little underground uh, villain ring, drug ring. I have no clue what it is, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, guys, it's the fifth one in the franchise. You already know what it's about. Um, I don't really care for it. I, I didn't really like the minions film. Uh, I never saw Despicable Me 3. I thought the second one and the first one were, you know, they're cute. They were fine for what they were. And yeah, if you like the minions, I think you'll, you'll dig this one. If you like, Gru, I guess if you're a Gru fan, uh, then you'll dig this one. This will make a bunch of money anyway, so it doesn't really matter what I say. Uh, it will do just fine. And I'm so glad that Steve Carell can find a nice uh, little paycheck gig uh, uh, after The Office with this and then do uh, you know smaller budget stuff. Um, you know He's living the dream. But uh, yes, this, this one exists. It's coming out July 3rd, 2020. Millions of the Rise of Gru. There you go. Um, I could not it, care less about this movie. Just to just to interject, I hated hated the Minions movie. That was almost, I think, almost on my bottom ten of that year. Um, I thought it was mean spirited and pointless. And my my whole like, I didn't see Despicable Me three, 
I, I didn't bother with it. I, you know, I, I thought that the first two were cute, like you said. Um, but my whole thoughts about the Despicable Me franchise is why didn't we get this for Megamind, which was the better of the two, uh, like, villains who become heroes movies of 2010. Like, why didn't... I think we only got that one short thing, the Button of Doom or whatever it is, and we didn't get any sequels. I mean, come on. Um, and it's probably because Brad Pitt didn't want to do it, but because uh, <laughs> he was the... Uh, he was the superhero in that in that movie, but uh, yeah, I, I I would have wanted one for for that for that movie, not for this one, not for this one. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, it. it <laughs> I didn't. Right, though, I didn't it, see this trailer. I'm in no hurry to watch it. Right. It it, it makes no sense to me that Megamind didn't take off. I I, I love Megamind, <coughs> uh, but this dude, I just I don't. I'm tired of it. I'm so tired of it at this point. It it it, it reminds me of the. Uh, uh, live action Disney films, you know, besides Mulan that I have some curiosity in, I'm just tired of those. And it's just like, I'm tired of this. Like, just stop it. Just because, uh, you know, older women and little kids like minions doesn't mean the rest of us do. Uh, cause uh, you know, minions are a really popular character to use in memes. Mm-hmm. I don't like them. Please get them off of memes, please. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know what else more to say. It's it is what it is. Uh, but you're gonna go see it anyways if you have kids. I don't blame you uh, if they like them. So have at it. Uh, I'm gonna skip the the my favorite one of the week uh, here in just a second. But um, and Joel already knows what that one is. But the second one I want to hmm. talk about is the Big Lebowski kind of spinoff movie. Uh, the Jesus Rolls uh, is written and directed by John Turturro, and he's also starring as his uh, title character from the Big Lebowski. Jesus, uh, how you pronounce that, Joel Quintero? I thought it was Jesus, but is it Jesus? Or Jesus Quintero? Yeah, Jesus I, I mean, Quintana, I think, or something like that. Quintana. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I will, um, I will admit right now, I have not seen the Big Lebowski, and it's a horrible like blind spot of mine that I that I haven't filled yet. I, I know that that like probably dis disqualifies me from all future movie conversations for some people, but yeah, that's. I, I need to, I need to catch up with that one. Go ahead. <laughs> that's a big thing I mean, to admit, but still. Right. Uh, yeah, I've seen The Big Lebowski. It's, uh, you know, people deem it as their favorite comedy, uh, one of their favorite Jeff Bridges movies, one of their favorite Coen Brothers movies. I totally get it. I, I like it quite a bit, uh, but I wouldn't go as far as to say my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I, I like more of their um, mm. newer stuff, like A Simple Man and No Country and all that stuff. So uh, a, seri- yeah. a Serious oh. Man. A Simple Man is another movie. Oh, A Simple Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did that come out the same that year? That did come is out that... the same year. Yeah, I exactly. think like a month well, later. I... Okay, so I blame it on Colin Firth and uh, his involvement <laughs> on that film. Uh, no, but yeah, uh, A Serious Man was a, a very underrated one that no one ever talks about. But uh, the Jesus roles, uh, John Turturro, like I said, coming back as his uh, character from that movie, you know, the uh, bowler that Lebowski has a lot of scenes with. You know, I never thought they would even go down this route and uh, make a movie, let alone let John Turturro uh, write and direct. Uh you know, he, he doesn't really have like the biggest like directing or writing kind of a IMDb. Like he's got some credits, but it's not like, Oh my God. Like he's done so many big things. Like he's done some shorts, he's done some smaller films and uh, uh, looks like he's done a documentary here. So it's not like when people hear John Turturro, they go, Oh, the writer and director, like, no, they know him as the actor. So him taking on this kind of almost, I think his biggest project to date, uh, especially playing one of uh you know, one of the more memorable parts of the Big Lebowski, that's a big thing. And so I saw the trailer and 
I, you know, I think I think it's fine. Uh, it looks exactly like uh, what you would expect a <laughs> Big Lebowski spinoff to look like. It's kind of got that dry comedic, you know, delivery. It's got you know a gangster type of story. Like it looks serviceable. It doesn't look like it's anything awful. But I like the cast. You know, with uh, John Turturro, Bobby Cannavale. Uh, Susan Sarandon, Pete Davidson, <laughs> of all people, John Hamm, J.B. Smoove, Christopher Walken, Tim Blake Nelson. You know, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's got a notable cast. And I think if you're a fan of that, I think you might like this. Uh, but it has – it looks like some people have already seen it because it's got a 4.6 out of 10 on that. Yeah, I think, sh- I think it showed at uh, Sundance. Oh, okay. That pretty makes sense. Sh- pretty sure it showed at Sundance. So. Uh, well, that is disappointing, uh, as one user review put it, so disappointed. Uh, but it looks <laughs> like a lot of uh, ratings are pretty bad. So, you know, uh, if we check it out, we check it out. But, um, you know, maybe that will give Joel uh, uh, some motivation to see the Big Lebowski if he ever sees the Jesus rolls, and uh, there he can go from there. So that is the second trailer that dropped this week. And the third uh, trailer that dropped this week, and uh, – I'm pretty sure my favorite, as you guys are going to probably tell from the title of the film, Spiral uh, from oh, the Book of Saw. I uh, forgot that old... this trailer came out this week. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, because well, when the uh, when the poster dropped, I was like, oh, man, we're getting a trailer soon. And then they dropped it like five minutes later. Uh, but Lionsgate dropped the trailer. It comes out May 15th, 2020, directed by Darren Lynn Bosman. And that name is important because he directed Saw 2 and 3, uh, which is, I think, besides the first one, uh, probably the better ones of the bunch. I mean, I think the the first three are the best out of the, you know, eight. Um, but I like all eight. But if you ask any other fan or any other person, a lot of them do like the first uh, three, which is totally fine. Uh, I like the first three as well. It's a very, like, contained and finite little uh, horror thriller trilogy. But with this one, we have Bosman coming back, or Bowsman, or however you pronounce it. Uh, This one, you know, as IMDb puts it, a sadistic mastermind unleashes a twisted form of justice in Spiral, the terrifying new chapter from the Book of Saw. They're going to definitely keep this under wraps. That's only the plot they're going to give us. Even up until its release, they're going to try to keep all the twists and turns secret, whether they involve uh, John, you know, the original Jigsaw or not with Tobin Bell. I don't know if he's going to come back in some weird form or if it's going to be someone, uh, you know, imitating you know, kind of like his predecessor, uh, kind of like what the Jigsaw movie did. Who knows? Uh, I have no idea what timeline this is going to be in, in terms of if it's going to be post-events uh, of the third one, fourth one before the second one, whatever. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see that kind of play out. But Chris Rock, of all people, is starring in this film, also executive producing it. Uh, his partner in crime, because uh, he and uh, Max Minkhelia, uh he, uh, they are the the two cops that are in this. And uh, um, if you don't know who Max McKella is, he is the gentleman from the Social Network, the one that was not the uh, uh, Vinklevoss twins. So they are Divya, uh, Divya finding Narendra. Out. There we go. I was trying to remember his name in the movie. Uh, oh, there right. You go. Right. Um, yes, and so with them two uh, trying to search out the, these crimes and making sure, like, they're tracking down this person that's leaving the spiral symbol everywhere, which was a really popular symbol in the original saw films. They're just trying to track it down. And we have Samuel L. Jackson there saying mother effort in the trailer. So <laughs> it was just a glorious thing to witness. And uh, I cannot wait for it. it. You know, to be honest with you, 
even if I was not a Saw fan and I just looked at this as a, a police procedural uh, thriller, it looks pretty decent. Like, you know, this it, it shot well. It looks like the actors are going to be uh, fully into this, which is weird because I never would have thought in a million years Chris Rock and Sam Jackson would have been a Saw spinoff film. But it actually doesn't look half bad if you were not a Saw fan. And, you know, me as a Saw fan, I was going to see it no matter what. So I'm definitely biased. But um, I think just as in terms of a first look, this is very promising. And I'm curious to see what twists and turns are going to be thrown at us. What's the timeline of this thing? Because they are definitely going to keep that under wraps until release. Uh, but as a Saw fan, I am satisfied. And as everyone out there that is hesitant, check out the trailer. I think you might be um, – I think you might be a little bit more excited uh, than you thought you would be. So, I mean, that, that's just my my kind of take on it. Joel, did you did you see this viral trailer? No, I didn't. Uh, no, I mean, you know, you know me. I'm not. I'm not. Why, a... why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? <laughs> why do you hate me? That answered the question. Why do you hate me? If there's you... one franchise I need you to watch it's on a the... constant basis, it's this one. Right. Well, you know how you know how much I love this. So you're gonna please. you're gonna be like. You're going to be fairly insufferable for about two weeks in a row because this comes out the week before Fast and Furious 9. Yeah, buddy. So, and I know because I'm looking at the, the release schedule here, I was, I was curious. These are probably going to be the movies that we review. So, oh boy. Uh, unless, I guess, we take The Woman in the Window uh, the week that Spiral comes out. But still, uh, <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> hey guys, I, I listeners, I'm just going to be leaving the show for 2 weeks in the middle of May, just so you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um if Joel rates it anything below a C, I'm firing him instantly. <laughs> live on air and you're going to witness it. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I guess I should look for a new gig. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> um <laughs> Listen, I I mean, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to watching the trailer. I I honestly saw that it dropped, didn't watch it and then forgot that it dropped so yeah i'm just not following this stuff i i don't yeah i i just i mean (laughs) i'm this close to saying i don't care but that's not the that's not the correct way of putting it i just you know i just the poster looks cool though like they're they're actually putting effort into the marketing which i appreciate yeah yeah and it'll be it'll be interesting seeing um uh chris rock in a purely dramatic role uh that's going to be an interesting context to see him in so um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely interested. I just don't have the like past with the series that you do, you know, right. so coming at it from a different place, but, uh, but we'll see, we'll see what happens for sure. Is that the, is that your last trailer or did you have any others? Nope. Um, it was a, it was a pretty light week. Like I said, the Super Bowl dominated all the trailer conversation, okay. but we already talked about everything. And I guess if you want to do a little bonus thing right now before I let Joel do his, his special segment. Let me just tell you something, guys. Uh, Disney Plus released that 30-second kind of uh, fast little montage of clips for Loki, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and WandaVision. And let me tell you this. I thought that maybe they would have have too much over their head. Maybe this would be too much of an overbearing thing to do, and especially connecting to the movies. But I can tell you from watching that footage – I am just as excited as I was just talking about it uh, purely on a, a written level. Now that I've seen actual imagery, oh, man, I cannot wait. Uh, right. So you saw that one, right? Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, that was very cool uh, to see a lot of that emotion in it. And it's, uh, you know, I've been hearing a rumor that 
for the uh, for the WandaVision show, they've actually gotten a lot of cameos from stars of like uh, sitcoms of the past. So nice. it should so it should be interesting. Now it's probably the ones that like Fox owns or something. <laughs> <don't laughs> right, right. They probably they probably wouldn't be able to like go over to NBC and say, "Hey, can we use your characters?" Um, but uh, but yeah, it should be interesting. Now whether that now whether that rumor is actually true, I don't know. I'm not I'm not reporting it as, as news guys, but I'm hoping I'm hoping it's true because that would be really interesting uh, if we saw some crazy like Marvel thing where. They're, I don't know if they're like stuck in some weird alternate reality or what's going on, but very cool. I'm, I'm, I'm a little more interested in my, in my, like the, the things we got for that than Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I am excited for. Uh, it comes out in August. That's the first one we're getting. I'm certainly watching every episode, but um, that's, you know, fairly typical kind of uh, Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier like the movie. I, I think it's going to follow in that in those footsteps. Uh, I'm a little more interested in what they've got going on with WandaVision. And then Loki comes out next year. We got a little bit of a, a single clip of, um, of Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Uh, so it should be interesting to see what, what's going on with that too. So yeah, yeah cause uh, that very one, exciting. That one's taking in the uh, Loki's taking in the place in the timeline of 2012. Right. Yeah. Before, after, yeah. When he's the Tesseract. Yeah. Yeah. So that should be, it's like, Nothing, nothing. It'd be interesting to see if they involve any of the people from the movies, like in different contexts too. You know, mm. you know, because obviously this is not going to be the same timeline as what we saw. Um, so, you know, who's you know is like who's going to make an appearance? It's going to be very interesting to see that. So, all right. Well, uh, if you're done with that, then I'm going to move on to my special segment now. This is this is just for me. I, I briefly. Like a couple months ago, was thinking, I wonder if I should involve Chase in this. But I was then I was like, no, I think I'm just going to keep it for myself if I ever do it. And this this new uh, this new thing we've got going certainly gave me the opportunity to talk about the worst films of the decade. Yes, the entire decade. Now, Chase, I'm going to just warn you that some of these movies are so obscure and so strange that you're, you're going to wonder about probably about my mental health in some way. Right. I mean, I, I know that you already worry about that on a daily basis, but you're going to worry about it even more probably on a minute by minute basis. When I talk about these 10 movies, these are the 10 movies that offended me the most in the 2010s. And it's a motley crew. There's not a single kind of movie here. There's three family movies. There's a romantic comedy. There's a couple of sci-fi things, a couple horror things, some action stuff, some comedies. It's a weird group. And are you excited to hear <laughs> what what I what I hated the most? The ten movies that truly I despise. Are you excited for this, Chase? Are you are you prepared? Not, not really. Not uh, but really? <laughs> I, 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 it's one of those things to where, listen, if you want to uh, hurt your, yourself <laughs> in this way and damage your, your mental health, that is totally up to you. <laughs> I will support whatever decision you want to do. So listen, years down the line, if you go, I can't do this anymore, 
I'm not going to blame you. I think you're, <laughs> you're going to mentally break at some point. But hey, for right now, keep it going. There we go. Uh, and I just wanted to say, too, the reason that I'm doing this is because I wanted to make, in terms of our extra segments, I wanted to make the month of February looking back at the, at the decade. Because later in the, dec- later in the month, we're going to be talking about our best films. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about our best performances. And uh, so it's just going to be a three-week kind of series. Um, but this is where I wanted to start just to kind of get it out of the way. And also just because, you know, I, I don't like being the cynical guy and I'm going to try to not be when it comes to this. Um, I'm going to try to take it in stride, but there's some movies that I hated. And, and this is what I've been talking about with, you know, the list of the worst films of the year. You see bad stuff and you might as well take inventory of it in some way. And lists help me. And if I'm going to make a list, I'm going to release it in some way. You can see this list on Letterboxd. I, I actually think like, th- yeah, three months ago, I've got it open here. Three months ago, I published it. I didn't write anything about the movies. Um, I tried to, but I didn't, I didn't really finish that. But I, I certainly can remember enough about them to say something about them here. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And um, I'm going to tell you, though, Chase, that Sort of like with our um, with my um, list of the best films of the 2010s, there's more here from the year 2011 than anything else. I think um, I'm, I think I'm seeing three movies, which is quite a lot. But that's I think the first year where I really kind of broke out a little bit of my shell and and started watching more stuff um, maybe that I had previously not wanted to. But, um, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get into this. And my first movie is from 2011, and it is called The Last Godfather. Uh, now, this one comes from director Shim Hyung Rai, who kind of made his name with a movie back in 2007 called D-War Dragon Wars, uh, which was a really awful monster movie. And he followed it up a few years later uh, with this crime comedy uh he plays uh he's also he's also the star of the movie uh shim hyung rai and he stars as young gu who is the son of a mafia boss played by harvey keitel for some reason uh and basically he's being trained by his uh by this don's son um tony v who is played by michael rispoli to be his father's successor and uh, meanwhile, another sibling named Vinny played by, and you're going to recognize this name, Chase, and you're going to wonder how in the world did this person get involved in this movie, but played by Jason Mewes, um, named Vinny wants to take over in his own way and doesn't like the fact that young goo is the guy that his father has tapped for taking over the family. Um, this thing is completely tone deaf every step of the way. Uh, it hates women. The only uh, female character here is a is the daughter of the family, played by Jocelyn Donahue. And um, the the thing about her is that she's constantly in danger, um, and and is part of this kidnapping scheme. That's not an actual kidnapping, but it's a way for Muse's Vinny to um, to kind of take over the family by by force, and it provokes an armed conflict between the two families. Everything is filmed with the visual nuance of a car commercial. Um, 
the cinematography here is pedestrian and and uh and just about uh, embarrassingly awful. This is not the worst film of 2011. I've got I've got that coming up. But um but yeah, this thing is truly awful. None of the performances work. Shim is a complete like non-entity on screen as an actor and as a director he doesn't know how to he doesn't know how to handle actors especially because it's very clear and i hate saying this because it makes me sound a certain way but it's very clear that english is not his first language and he's done a movie here that's or it wasn't at the time perhaps and it and it was done almost all in english and he wrote the screenplay as well and so it feels like essentially what he's done is he's taken a bunch of the things that we recognize from the Godfather movies and Goodfellas and whatnot and put them into this blend that is just, that understands absolutely nothing about any sort of tone management between comedy and drama. Most of it's comedy, most of it's bean level comedy, uh, but done with none of the grace of Mr. Bean. Um, Lots of slapstick, lots of crass humor. This one is a true, true disaster. Um, My number nine comes from 2015. This is a movie that Chase will not have heard of. I don't even know if he heard of my last one. Uh, but this one is a real stickler. Real stick in the mud. This thing is awful. Uh, it's called Muck. And it comes from director Steve Walsh. And it's about a group of kids, uh, college kids, who are going off to a St. Patrick's Day celebration in Cape Cod. And they come across... Uh, a couple of enemies, like, like basically like savage monsters in this, uh, in this house, in this, in, uh, or, uh, surrounding this house that they've collected themselves into to party. And the, the acting is, is porn movie level bad, probably lower. Uh, the women are all, again, uh, this is a, this is a common thread on this list. The women are all basically objectified and also, killed in the most gruesomely horrific fashion possible. Whereas the men are all seen as somehow perfect, even though they're all misogynists and they're all killed uh, while barely, you know, you barely see their deaths. Basically uh, many of the, the men's deaths are kind of captured off screen and they're just, they're just, kind of almost politely killed, whereas the women are constantly just absolutely brutalized uh, in every way. And uh, there's a sexual assault of one of the women by the monsters, which is truly despicable. I caught this one because of just a friend of mine had, had who doesn't give zero stars very often, gave this zero stars, so I decided to, to give it a, uh, a go. And uh, it's not, it's also not the worst film of 2015. I'm going to get to that later, but it's pretty close. Um, and it comes from a particularly bad year for bad movies. Um, so yeah, that's number, that's my number nine muck. It doesn't really star anybody uh, that I'm seeing here. That's, that's recognizable. Uh, yeah. I think all the actors were fairly, if not newcomers, then relative, relative newcomers, uh, not, not super involved actors. Um, and they're all terrible. So doesn't really matter. They're all bad. Uh, my number eight is probably one of two movies that are very high profile. 
you're going to recognize this. Uh, you're going to recognize more than more than a couple of these movies. Chase listeners will recognize this one though as being a particularly awful alien invasion movie from the year 2011. No, I am not talking about the Darkest Hour, starring uh, Emil Hirsch. Although that was pretty bad. That was definitely near the bottom of my list that year. No, I'm talking about one that, that duped me, that made me think whenever I was going in that I was going to see one of the best movies of the year, and that is Battle Los Angeles from director Jonathan Liebsman. Uh, this one stars Aaron Eckhart as a, as a um, uh, military commander of some sort, who uh, a marine commander, a uh, staff sergeant, sorry, Marine staff sergeant whose new platoon is drawn into a conflict with an alien uh, insurgency. And it basically populates the, uh, the cast with a bunch of actors who are not asked to do much, um, aside from Eckhart, who's basically just kind of the one who has to, uh, to rally the troops. You also have people like Ramon Rodriguez, Michael Pena, Neo shows up. That's not a name you've heard in a while. Bridget Moynihan. Corey Hardricht, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, Joey King, a really good cast. Lucas Till before his uh, X-Men days, just before his X-Men days. Uh, It's bad. It basically, you cannot tell what is going on in this movie at any given moment. It's completely edited to be, to be incomprehensible. The characters are all not even cardboard cutouts. That's an insult to cardboard cutouts. Um, It's just a truly, loud, obnoxious, never-ending disaster on wheels. Um, I hated every second of this. And, and I think that, that it, was a, uh, it was an insult to these kinds of movies. I mean, you know, uh, enjoyable, junk-like. Uh, it, was even, it was even worse than something like Skyline, uh, which had come out just a couple months beforehand and was also pretty bad. There was kind of a run of really bad uh, uh, alien invasion movies that made no sense and... and had kind of lo-fi visual effects work. And this was the worst, this was the worst offender of all of them. Uh, it was just loud, obnoxious nonsense, uh, made no difference. Sound and fury signifying nothing is how a friend of mine put it. And that pretty much covers it. My number seven, uh, is probably might be the most obscure movie on my list. Uh, it's another horror movie, but it's one that barely got any sort of release. It was one of those VOD day and date things, sort of like muck, but even worse, it's called Temple. And this came out in 2017 from director Michael Barrett, whose brother Simon is famous for having written and or directed stuff like Death Note, which was also awful, but also Blair Witch, uh, the Blair Witch remake or uh, 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 sequel. Um, and also, obviously, You're Next. But this was a real misstep. Um, I can barely remember the plot, I'll admit, but and there weren't any actors in here that were... Uh, that were particularly uh, recognizable. So, you know, that's out, but it's basically about these three American tourists who find, who follow this map deep into the jungles of Japan, searching for an ancient temple. And uh, they come upon a bunch of spirits that try to trap them. And it's basically the worst possible version of something like the grudge that you could probably, you could possibly think of. Um, It's, it was kind of, made famous among some critics when somebody called it the horror movie where nothing happens, uh, because there's really no sense of, uh, plot cohesion or forward movement. 
it's just they it's just characters walking around something creepy happening and then that happening for the for the following like 75 minutes it's a very short movie thankfully but it was really really um tremendously bad all right so my number six is a movie that deserves a lot more recognition for being so bad than it did i think it was barely released in 2012 but i I, but i managed to see it in theaters i actually paid money to see this movie um and it's called branded came out in 2012 directed by jamie bradshaw and alexander de lorraine and it takes place in a dystopian future where corporate brands have created a disillusioned population and one man's effort to unlock the truth behind this, this conspiracy leads to an epic battle with hidden forces that control the world. Basically, a bunch of aliens are controlling the corporate brands of the world. That's pretty much the, the, the gist of the plot here. But it's, but it's marred by a lot of really, truly horrendous visual effects work that looks like it was done in the year 1991 and ported into the present day. Um, now there are, now there are some movies from that period of time with good visual effects. I'm talking, this is the kind with bad visual effects. Uh, Ed Stoppard stars as the man in the man in question, but you also have Lily Sobieski who barely acts these days and apparently thought that this was, uh, something that was worth her time. Jeffrey Tambor, whose involvement is kind of awkward now and Max von Sydow, who shouldn't have gone anywhere near this. Um, truly a it's it's one of those that you watch in a sense of mesmeric like stunned disbelief you can't believe at any at any point that the acting could be so bad you can't believe that the visual effects could be so imprecise you can't believe the directions in which this thing goes that just bury it further into complete incomprehensibility by the end you don't know who's in charge who's who's responsible for what and you don't care it's just complete madness all the way through. Uh, it was an endless 105 minutes. I saw this, again, in theaters, and I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I paid money for this, but um, I seem to be one of the few who did. Because I'm looking at um, uh, on Letterboxd, and it looks like only 1,300 people have logged in. And that's not very many, uh, considering the number of people that uh, that are on Letterboxd. So... That one's pretty bad. So now we're getting into my top five. This first one from 2016, Chase will recognize the title because I named this as the worst movie of 2016 when we talked about that on that episode. And it's Asian Connection, the Steven Seagal action thriller in which he plays an, uh, and he, he and John Edward Lee play a pair of American expatriates who are sent to unwittingly steal a drug, a drug lord's money when they rob a series of banks in Southeast Asia and become the target of that gang's vengeance. This also stars Pim Boubert, uh, yes, that's the person's name, as um, this woman who's essentially treated as just a sexual object, although she's a capable uh, you know, physical agent, too. Um, Michael Jai White is in this, and there's a scene that I, that I talked about where literally it seems like Steven Seagal is playing himself because... He keeps talking about how he hates fish. He won't eat fish. That's the that's almost uh, all of his screen time outside of the action sequences, which are really awful. The the gunfire, the 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 blowback from the gunfire looks like it was painted in with a computer. 
the there's no sense of timing. There's no sense of choreography in this action in these action sequences. It's just really, really bad uh, filmmaking. Just on a on a general level of of directing skill, Daniel Zarilli, who's the the person who directed it, has none. Clearly, has none. Uh, and it is a true, true disaster. So there's Asian Connection. That's my number five. Uh, I had already talked about that one, though. And I've actually already talked about my number four, which I, I voted as the worst film of 2018. Chase, I'm bringing it back. Woody Woodpecker. Woody Woodpecker from director Alex Zam. Uh, this is the story of how Woody Woodpecker, voiced by uh, Eric Bauza, is terrorizing a family. Uh, that has moved into his part of the woods. Um, I forget where he lives. I think in, in um, Brazil or something in order to build a giant blue house that doesn't fit the surroundings at all and, uh, and not live in it, just use it as a tax, uh, a tax revenue place, tax revenue uh, source and um, or tax break. I don't know, something to do with taxes. It's not to live in it though. And he, he has to avoid the clutches of a couple of poachers who end up, actually like uh, kidnapping a couple of kids because apparently this movie has no, no sense of, uh, of what kids like to watch in their movies. And it's certainly not a multiple attempts to kill humans by a vicious uh, CGI bird. Ooh boy. This is just, it's bad. It's bad. All right. So that's my number four. My number three is accidental love. This became pretty uh like famous infamous almost uh it's directed by somebody who calls himself i think it's stephen green is um yeah is the credit but chase do you know who actually directed accidental love have you ever now heard, you have you, you and heard i were this? having this conversation i think uh when we first brought it up and when you said it i was like are you serious and you told me the pseudonym so Go and explain to everyone yeah. who, who did this. So first, before I tell you who directed it, let me just tell you the, the cast of this movie. Chase's head is about to, to explode. Jake Gyllenhaal, Jessica Biel, James Marsden, Aaron Keener, Paul Rubens. Yes. Pee Wee Herman is in this movie. Kirstie Alley is in this movie. James Brolin, Tracy Morgan, Bill Hader. This is a really good cast. And the director, although he gave himself the name Stephen Green is none other than David O. Russell. Uh, so this is basically the, the story of a small-town waitress, played by Beale, who accidentally gets a nail lodged in her head that leads her to Washington, D.C. It causes, it causes her to become an uncontrollably horny and impulsive person. Uh, and she meets up with this young senator who's completely clueless, doesn't, hasn't earned his job, clearly. Uh, he's played by Gyllenhaal. Um, and uh, he takes off her cause, and I don't remember what the cause is, honestly. But uh, it's all about basically this weird romantic plot that I, I don't understand the movie. It's, it's a complete incomprehensible mess. It has a bunch of really just uh, mind-numbing characters who are all constantly annoying. Um, it's clear that Russell lost control of this material pretty early on. Uh, and was not able to uh, bounce back from that. It is a real disaster. Um, now, part of that was through 
studio interference. So certainly to some degree, it's not like his, it may not be Russell's fault. Um, and I don't even know if it's technically the screenwriter's fault, Kristen Gord, Dave Jesser and Matt Silverstein. I'm not entirely sure, but, um, but whatever it is, it turned out to be a, just a, a, a chore to get through this thing. Um, you know, admittedly, I watched it because of its reputation. Uh, I just was not prepared for how much I just, I just liked it. It's, it's, I feel like any of my top three could be, could be my number one, but, um, but yeah, that's where this, that's where this fell. Now, having just said that, I cannot believe that number two is number two and not number one. Uh, and in fact, I'm not even going to say the year of the movie because I'm not entirely sure when this came out or if it even came out in the U S but I was able to see it through a, uh, through certain means. Um, I'll just say that (laughs) certain means and it is food fight. Uh, this is an animated movie that had been in the works for years. I actually remember hearing about it back when Disney was attached, uh, to produce it. They, they fell out of it pretty quickly. Then a bunch of stuff happened. It was lost in a fire, I think. Or no, 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 not a fire. It was lost in, a, in, a, in an act of espionage uh, in which somebody stole the only copy. Uh, and then they had to rebuild the entire thing. Using, and, I, and I remember now where fire comes in. They used the funds of a, of a, a local fire department to produce the rest of this movie. Um, which also has a crazy cast, including Charlie Sheen, Wayne Brady, Hilary Duff, and Haley Duff, Eva Longoria, Christopher Lloyd, Chris Kattan, Martin Kleba, Larry Miller, Ed Asner, Christine Baranski, Cloris Leachman, Jerry Stiller, Harvey Firestein. Lots of people in this animated film, um, and I kid you not, is about an evil brand that joins a supermarket. Um, uh, I'm sorry, that that takes the 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 brands of food from a supermarket and turns them into essentially a Nazi party. That's, that's essentially what it is. It's, it's never named that this is, that this is a direct Nazi allegory, but that's pretty much what it is because the leader of this, which is the character voiced by uh, Eva Longoria, Lady X is essentially trying to be a Fuhrer. Um, and lead all of these these uh, these different characters into something of a um, uh, kind of a, a third Reich, if you will. It's pretty much a Reich, and it's really discomforting, especially because by the we're supposed to sympathize with them, with that particular character. She ends up trying; they end up trying to make her into a into a. Um, uh, a sympathetic character, but that's weird enough. The animation of the movie is very lo-fi, probably because of what happened to it. Um, it took years and years for it to reach uh, release from when it was originally produced, which was back in 2003. Uh, it entered that period of time where they just didn't know what was going on with it. And then it finally released mostly overseas uh, I think that there is a DVD release, come to think of it, in the U.S., but very small, didn't didn't reach any theaters. I happened to see it before it even came to, to DVD, 
and it's it's one of those movies that if you were to release it on Blu-ray or something, you know, get it back out there, I think that it could probably help to shape some of the conversation around what a really truly awful movie is, um, because this one definitely is now. You know, even even worse, one of the worst things about it um, is the fact that it has this romance at the center of the movie between the Charlie Sheen character, which is whose name is Dex Dogtective. Yes, Dex Dogtective and the character voiced by Hilary Duff named Sunshine Goodness. Um, Now, the problem with that is that at the time of their voicing the characters, Charlie Sheen was 35 and Hilary Duff was 14. So very, very like cringy type of deal. Um, And it just absolutely goes off the rails. Nothing makes sense. That's a common theme in my movies. Nothing makes sense. Uh, (laughs) Except that I am apparently watching it with my eyes. Uh, Christopher Lloyd also comes in as one of the villains. uh, Absolutely one of the most terrifying animated characters I've ever witnessed in a movie uh, and not in good ways. Um, And uh, just from the way that he walks, it's clear that they came up with some sort of like general, general kind of style of him walking and did nothing more with it. Um, And it, and it turns it into a truly terrifying character uh, for all the wrong reasons. Um, And it's just, it is truly something else, but, but Chase if that can't be number two, what could possibly mean number one? I feel like you know the answer. I feel like you know, you know the answer to this. Um, and if you don't immediately, you won't be surprised when I, when I announce it. But my number one, my pick for the worst film of the 2010s, of all of the 2010s, the one that really just haunted me and continues to haunt me because we have a poster of it. In, at work, in the employee's bathroom, at work. Uh, and I don't know why we need to take it, take it down, because I'm constantly reminded of this movie's existence, and it constantly well, flashes it, it back. Actually, it actually works uh, being in the bathroom, just because it's... You know, it is. If it's, in, if it it's is. in a place of crap, then the movie is crap, it and is it's perfect. right above our toilet. Um, <laughs> so there you go. And that is Paul Blart, Mall Cop 2. Um, guys, this is one of the worst produced big budget wide releases I've ever laid eyes on. The cinematography here is somehow done by Dean Simler who shot movies like dances with wolves and secretariat. In fact, I think he directed secretariat, but this is the sequel to the mostly harmless 2009 film, Paul Blart mall cop didn't like that movie, but I didn't hate it. It's not bad. This movie is truly awful, and it announces itself as that right from the beginning when it makes a joke out of the death of Paul Blart's mother, uh, who's played by, um, uh, who is it? Shirley Knight, uh, a regular of, of, um, of Adam Sandler movies. And this is, of course, produced by Adam Sandler through his Happy Madison productions. It's probably the worst thing Adam Sandler has ever produced um, and if it's not this, then it's probably his worst movie that he starred in with Kevin James. In fact, who, who returns as Paul Blart, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, which I truly hate, but this is probably the worst. Um, the plot here basically has him going to Las Vegas, uh, to attend a security guard ex- expo 
I don't know why they have those, but anyway, his daughter played by um, uh, Rainy Rodriguez is heading off to college and uh, he inadvertently kind of bumbles into a heist plan headed up by Neil McDonough's villain, um, Vincent, Vincent Sofell. I know that was his name until just now because I've blocked most of this movie out, but um, yeah, this thing is just embarrassing from one end to the other. Uh, it's, it's, I just, you know, the word embarrassing pretty much ties together all of these movies, but this one has absolutely no sense of the, the camera even, like, facing the correct way most of the time. All of the, the attempts at action are are done in by the fact that they didn't have a director who knew what he was doing. Um, and, in fact, this is the director who made um, uh, She's the Man, which I kind of liked, but Race to Witch Mountain, You Again, Playing with Fire. That's the other things that he's directed. Parental Guidance with uh, Billy Crystal. Um, this guy's not good. He's not a good filmmaker. And this movie is like, I, I feel like this movie is unreleasable. I, I feel like there was, I, I don't understand how anybody got into a room, watched a cut of this and said, yes, let's put this out in theaters for people to see. It's not even good enough to go directly to DVD. It, you know what it's good enough for, Chase? It's good enough for being watched and then shelved because nobody realizes or everybody realizes that it's too bad to release. That's and then never released. Like it's it just it's good enough to never be released and that's it. Um and it just doesn't work uh ever. Uh, and it doesn't even like seem to want to please anyone. I don't understand who the target audience is here because it came a whole 6 years after the first movie. Any kids that that saw the first movie were probably in their teens by the time this came out. And and by the time this came out, I feel like the first one had been forgotten. It was a minor hit at the box office. Um, I think that there were other movies from January 2009 that made better money. And this one came out in April 2015, um, right in the middle of you know that period of time where nobody cares about the releases that are coming out uh, because they're all focused on uh, the upcoming uh, summer blockbusters. And it really kind of deserved that kind of dumping ground area. Um, there's there's nothing there's nothing about this movie that ever even comes close to working. It is mean spirited uh, in ways that go beyond just simple slapstick humor. It's getting genuine pleasure out of the pain of its characters. Um, hence, it makes a joke out of uh, the death of Paul Lars' mother. Uh, I think she's hit by a milk uh, by a milk truck, and that's the joke. Um, uh, you know, whether or not you can locate a joke. That's the point. There is no joke. It is a true disaster. It's a real, it's a really, really, truly awful, awful movie. One of the worst I've ever seen uh, with my eyes. Um, and unreleasable as, as particularly as a wide release fit for the consumption of regular, just moviegoers. Uh, this is below anybody here. Um, and I, and I don't say that lightly because Kevin James made Zookeeper. Uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's way more off than on. Uh, and here, very much off, very much, very much off uh, to the point that he's just dead in the water. Uh, just not, not good. Um, so, yeah, those are, my, those are my least favorite movies of the 2010s. Now, Chase, I do want to ask you 
to name one movie. If you had to pick one movie that you were truly just that you felt like fit the mold of the worst movie of the decade, what would it be? Man, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> what year? Hold on, I'm actually gonna look this up because if I if I if I say it out loud, it will spoil the surprise. Let me look it up real fast because if, if this is in the uh, the bracket, I am going with this one. Nothing else will beat it. Hold ah no, it's two years before. Um, <laughs> oh boy, man, that's. That's a tough one. Ooh, uh, do I know what that one is? I think I might know what that one is, but anyway. It it, it was definitely yeah, it's the, the peak of uh quote unquote spoof movies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh so uh, put me on the spot like this. I know, uh, I know. I did I didn't even think like just to you, let people you, know, I didn't even think to ask him that until I asked him that. So I probably should have like told you <laughs> that I was gonna ask you, but I didn't even think of it until just now. Right, would it be uh, like? Would it be something like Hellboy? Um, that's yeah. That one's pretty bad. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, you came out of that one pretty fuming, angry. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's if you like sat down and thought about it. That that's the one that you would choose. I, I would not be surprised by that. I, I think I, I think I'm more furious of that one is because one we wasted actual currency on it, mm-hmm, yeah. and two uh, I did not have enough to drink. So, because I, because Joel, Joel saw me, I only had like two or three beers. I, I should have had more because the experience that we had watching that thing was, uh, was really embarrassing. Yeah. And I honestly, like that's the whole, like I paid for it thing. That's how I feel about Paul Blart too. I didn't see it in theaters, but this was of course, before I worked at a place where I could rent something. So I went to uh, another store of, of my company, uh, another location and actually paid money to rent it. Um, and I don't know whether that actually goes to anyone related to the movie, but you know, it was a good, like four bucks that I lost, uh, this thing I, I could have like right now I work at a place where if it was used, I could rent it for free and that's too much money. Uh, <laughs> that's too much money uh, I, for Paul Blart say, too. Right. Um, and I will also say, I will throw in, uh, the fanatic as well. Oh, okay. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and also wouldn't it like truth or dare, be, Truth or Dare yeah, would be one of them. Uh, there. But man, yeah, the fanatic, fanatic definitely stands out. I know that was just last year, but right, g- good lord. <laughs> yeah. All right, go ahead, guys. That's our episode. Uh, those are my picks for the ten worst films of the 2010s. That's that's it. I'm not talking about any of those movies ever again. Chase, if I do, just 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 punch me in the face. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, uh, if you want to find my writing. Uh, you won't be able to find any of these reviews, but you'll, you'll be able to find this list on Letterboxd if you search my name. Uh, you can also find my writing at joelonfilm.com. In addition to my Birds of Prey review, I also reviewed Miss Americana, which is the new Taylor Swift doc on Netflix. Quite good. Quite surprised me. Uh, and if you want to follow my, my ramblings on Twitter, it's going to be at Real Joel Copeland. That's R-E-E-L-J-O-E-L-C-O-P-L-I-N-G. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's it. Uh, Chase, where can people find you? Yeah. If you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at real Chase Lee, uh, follow the podcast at real me in, uh, podcast. And then of course, if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Castbox, 
uh, now anchor. Um, right. And, you know, <laughs> please uh, spread everything around and uh, let let people know what's up. And of course, I will leave the links down in the description below. But you will also have access to leaving us voice messages if you care to do so. And if we receive several of them each week, then we'll we'll carve out a special segment for you guys. And then, of course, uh, you know, if you guys want to support it financially, you don't have to. But if you want to, to speed along the process to get us into, you know, a professional studio, pay for gas money, all that stuff, you can do that. But once again, you don't have to. Anchor offers those options. I decided to just turn them on just in case. But uh, yeah, just um, thank you for uh, bearing with us. And we'll, we'll get better at this as the weeks yes. progress in terms of the segments go. But I think for the first time, it was not that bad. So uh, next week, Joel, for 314, our main review is the photograph, correct? Yes, and we'll be doing a special segment on the best performances of the 2010s. I'm excited about that because uh, I've got some deep cuts. I've got some deep cuts. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about that. Perfect. So that is uh, next week's episode. But for this episode for 313, let us know all your thoughts down below or birds of prayer, whatever we just talked about. You uh, go ahead and blow up that comment section. But that is Joel. I am Chase. This has been Real Me and Colin in Movie Podcast. See you guys next week.